0: No one has ever said raising kids is easy. With an overwhelming amount of information about healthy diets, discipline strategies, and the need for more tummy time, it can be really hard to make sense at all. Welcome to Tot Talk. I'm Mary, a pediatric occupational therapist. And I'm Allison, a pediatric physical therapist. Together, we created Tots on Target to join parents, teachers, and pediatric professionals into one community. With the mission to empower each other with a greater understanding of how our children's brains and bodies develop, join us as we discuss the most relevant topics to help keep all our thoughts on target. Hi everyone, this is Allison. We are very excited to be bringing you a new podcast today, Um, and the topic is actually all about speech therapy and what services you can actually seek out from a speech therapist. As an OT and PT team, Mary and I get questions about a lot of areas of development, and speech is really outside of our scope of practice, and we wanted to defer to a professional in this area, and we brought in an amazing speech therapist, Liat Mafuda. She treats in the school systems near us in Bergen County, New Jersey, and she also treats privately, so we actually sat down with her to discuss what services speech therapists provide to babies, toddlers, school-age children, and give you a little bit better insight because even before I was in the workforce, I actually didn't really know much about what speech therapy offered. So I think this is going to be a really great insight if anybody has concerns, questions, or even just is wondering about how to help their child communicate better. Eliot, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about this because I think speech therapy is totally fascinating, and I'm really ready to dive in. Um, okay, I guess I'm going to start off by saying that I could ask you a lot about the developmental norms, right? What's um, age appropriate? At what point? Right? When do babies start babbling? When do um, toddlers start saying their words, etc.? But I would imagine that a lot of parents first come to you when they recognize that their baby or toddler or child is not on this on the same at the same stage as their peers, whether it's the same month when their babies in the same classroom in preschool, et cetera. So do you think that that's valid for parents to look at? Other children as a comparison, and is that a very telling sign that there's something going on?
1: I think everyone's so much so hyper aware now yes. of like what can be, you know, what's wrong with my child? Right, you know, is, is, I saw another child who's only a month older than my child, and they're speaking so much faster than my child. And a lot of that comparison, right? And it, it makes you nervous. I mean, I have a three and a half year old. I get it. You know, yeah. you, you look at other kids, and you're like, why isn't my kid doing that? But there's also just a huge range of what's normal. And I think if parents understand that there's that huge range of what's normal, then that's also – I mean, that could just alleviate so much stress (laughs) in the parenting process. So, for example, with, like, articulation, they Google articulation norms for speech. You'll see – and you just – even do you Google images, you'll see, like, a ton of charts, right? And they're all going to be a little different, right? So some are going to say – you know, two to three and a half, and one might say two to three, but it gives you like a basic idea of when to expect the S sound to come in, when to expect, you know, the K and G sound to come in. And these again, these aren't like hard and fast things, but if your child is two and a half and they're not saying the R sound and you're getting a little nervous about it, and you go and you Google these things and you see, oh, the R sound's not really supposed to come in until like seven, eight. Right. You'll feel a little bit better about that. Right. Exactly. And it's good to be aware of these things. You know, it's definitely, you don't want to wake up when your child is 15 years old and say, hey, you know? Right. Wish I had worked on that R sound, but it's certainly not worth it to be alarmed about it. Um, I feel like
0: people are very focused on speech because even when you meet adults, you pick up on those speech impediments or a lisp very, very quickly. Right. And so everyone wants to fix their kids as early as possible to make sure that their speech sounds appropriate and smooth and fluid.
1: And I think also, like, from my perspective, and I don't know if this is a very popular perspective, but from my perspective, if your child has to have anything, okay, there's, you know... Yeah. Articulation issues kind of at the low end of the... You think so? Well, you know what? It doesn't impact... It doesn't impact. It's not a reflection of intelligence. It's not a reflection of Interesting. capabilities. You know, it's just, it's just how don't you say speak. your S sound well. You know, it's right. kind of like it's, and which is, or you're, or actually, let me, I don't know. You are not pronouncing your S sound the way that, that we are trained to, trained to, or trained to, to hear it. Right. You know, um, listen, if articulation is impacting, your ability to function in the world around you then that's a big problem and that right. would have to do with more like overall communication but i know a lot of successful people who have lisps or right. you know and and so again i don't know that that's very comforting for parents to hear because they're just like i don't you know i don't want to hear that i i want my child to not have a lisp, you right. know. but um it's a pretty Easy thing to remediate, and as long as the parents are on board and are are practicing at home and following the, in in a lot of cases, not across the board. You know, obviously there's, but um, for like a traditional right. it's s- just an distortion or, or you know substitution or right. distortion of substitution. It's really c- can be pretty simple to remediate.
0: I would say similar to physical delays, you practice the skill. You can right. improve it. We right. We just need to practice. And again, at parent participation, doing it over and over again helps. When you say the same thing for articulation, it's a matter of like oh. practicing. I didn't hear your art correctly. Let's do it again. Is it similar to that exercising the mouth muscles and doing it the right way?
1: Absolutely. And I yeah. give that example to kids all the time. I say – because I try to encourage them to do their homework, right. <laughs> which I am very big on homework. I'm very big on – them practicing at home, which unfortunately it comes along with the term homework. Right, but um, need to come up with a more fun phrase. Right? But um, you know, I say I'm like, okay, like you know, if you look at someone and they have really, really strong muscles, right, really, really they have big muscles and they're so strong. Do you think that they went home and they did like one push up and now they're strong? You know, and it's like, no, you know, the kids are like, no way. And it's like, oh, they had to do a lot of push ups on a lot of different days, and now right. they're really, really strong and they can lift really heavy things. And and I say it's the same thing with speech. It can't just show a child how to produce, how to make the S, you know. And with with a lisp, with the traditional lisp where your tongue is sticking out between your teeth, mm-hmm. it's really, it can be as simple as just close your teeth. Don't let your tongue pop out. Just close right. your teeth. It's just that cueing. It really is. And it's practice and there's different levels and, you know, you do course. I mean, it's, it's actually, articul- articulation is actually pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. But it's. It makes a lot of sense. There's levels for it and there's a hierarchy of of exercises. If kids follow up at home and parents follow up at home, you see the improvement rate. I mean, those kids get dismissed from therapy. Right away. I mean, I don't know but right away, but much more quickly. Yeah. And again – I'm not, you know, it, this isn't like a recipe for all children with articulation. Things. Sometimes there can be motor structures. There can be, if you have you know, tonsils, adenoids, right. if there's, you know, frequent ear infections, inflammation anywhere, allergies, it can also impact the child's ability to close their mouth when it needs to be closed, keep their mouth open. You know, it, it just... Can, right. they so have, <laughs> like
0: you have to check their good general health first. Exactly. And you're right. I know that um, kids with frequent ear infections, I know I always check that in terms of balance, but oh, it could also be really affecting the way they're hearing sounds. Oh, absolutely. And so if they're we, – we model speech after what we're hearing, right? Oh, yeah. That's accents, everything like that. So if you're hearing the sounds in a distorted way, you're going to speak them in a distorted right. way,
1: right? And that's actually I, – I had um, a parent call me. This is a while back. Um, and she was asking me a bunch of questions. And she she wanted to start speech therapy. And I said to her, I was like, listen, I'm happy to come over and I'm happy to charge you, right. <laughs> you know, my my rate. But – I think you need to go to ENT first. I don't think – I think that we might be spinning our wheels unless we know that this isn't an issue. And and she went to ENT and it ended up being um, the child – I'm trying to remember exactly, but I think, the, I think the child needed like his adenoids and tonsils out. And then as soon as he did that, his speech started like improving. Isn't she called amazing. me like a few months later and was just like, just by the way, I want to let you – because I heard from her and and I'm not – I don't know her socially, um, told me a few months later, I was like, just want to let you know that that was like exactly what we needed. Was, wow. like, great. <laughs> like one of the things I actually wish pediatricians had, and <laughs> maybe I should, uh, hand some of these papers out. to <laughs> So yeah. it's just like, you know, just give a little packet to any parent who's concerned about their child's speech. There's certain things that are very, very normal for a child to, for a child to be doing. And pediatricians, I don't think are always aware of those things. I mean, They have so much information that they need to hold. (laughs) I don't know that they're, you know, keeping track of the developmental, you know, norms for fluency and articulation. So, but with fluency, it's very, very normal for a child to have just fluent speech, you know, at a young age. And there are certain things you look out for. Um, and I see that a lot where parents come and they say, my pediatrician is concerned that my child might be stuttering. And it's not always a true case of of stuttering. It's you know, sometimes it just – as children develop their language, they have so much they want to say. Yeah. And they chip on their words. And it's something that we all do on a regular basis. We all kind of chip on our words. Like I do that all the time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so there are like some red flags that we kind of look at to be able to make kind of like that differential diagnosis. Yeah. With fluency – to be more specific about it, if a child is – so, like, my son is three and a half now, and he does this all the time. He says, like, he'll get excited about something. Mama, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. I want to play with that toy, right? you know? And it's, like, so – he's so excited, and, you know, Mama, did you see? Did you see? Did you see the tree? You know, or Mama, the tree, the tree, the tree, the tree, like, very – says things over and over and over again. And those kinds of things are going to be, in the majority of times, very typical for a child that age when you want to examine it a little more closely is when you see what we call concomitant behaviors, which mm-hmm. is going to be like, um, like a facial like tick, you know. Oh. So maybe like if they're kind of like – sometimes you can see it in the eyes. You can see it maybe even in head movement. Um, so that can be like a red flag for, you know, larger fluency. Um, when, at issues. the same
0: time that they're repeating those words or – So, yeah.
1: So like – and, you, like, you can see it. It also comes along with um, – it, it's usually not – those are, that would be, like, a phrase repetition, right? So, like, I want, I want, I want, I want – that would be, like, a phrase repetition, which could be related to a true fluency issue. But what we want to look at also is are we kind of getting stuck on sounds? Are we getting stuck mm. on words? So, a so child who, let's say, they say, I want to c- – c- Cookie, that's something that's not going to be as as typical. Um, And and when you see that, you also see you also see like the facial grimacing. You also see things like that. So that's kind of like when you want to be like a little bit more. Would um, that be
0: considered like a true stutter, like a cookie?
1: cookie? You definitely want to go. It definitely you definitely want to you, you certainly want to go to a professional. I also always recommend. It's not always easy to find, but. Um, there are therapists who specialize in fluency, who specialize right. in like certain disorders. And, um, I would say, especially for fluency, that's something you'd want to go to a therapist who specializes in fluency. I think, um, I, I would be reluctant to take on like a true fluency case because mm-hmm. it's just not my specialty. Um, but you really want someone who, like, really knows the deal with that. Right.
0: Right. Um, but repeating the same word over and over again, or when they're just like, you could see that it's in their brain, but it just is having a hard time coming right. out at a certain age, you're saying around three ish, yeah. four, it's, it's can be normal. Right. And typical in development as they're trying to recall the words because they have so much excitement or they have so much they want to say, but it's hard to recall the words as fast as they're thinking. Now.
1: Right. It does get a little, it does get a little complicated because. For for fluency for stuttering, and I'm not up to date on research, but at least from when I was in grad school a hundred yeah. years ago, um, the the most effective ways to treat fluency to treat fluency disorders um, is when you intervene at a very young age. So, which makes it a little complicated because that means you have to be able to identify it at a young age. So you have the to wait and see. To... Approach can be a little bit right. shaky. So that's why like it can get a little bit. Um, you know, but it is also shown to ha- have a, like, um, hereditary component. Mm-hmm. So if there, if you have, like, increased, you know, you may have an increased risk if you have family members who had um, who stuttered, who had fluency um, disorders. Um, so you might, that might be more worthwhile for you to really look into it a little bit more closely. So, yeah. But if you're seeing, like, the struggling to just get a sound out or getting stuck on words, not being able to get the word out. That is definitely a bigger red flag. Um The whole word, whole phrase repetitions, that can be a little bit more typical for children that age.
0: Yeah. Actually, in, in thinking about this in terms of repeating themselves – one of my favorite stages in that toddler, in those toddler years is, or months, is that echolalia stage where they repeat it, right? <laughs> so like, you know, I, I forgot exactly when my kids did it at what month right. it's appropriate, but right when you say like, let's go outside, go outside, right? And right. so they're repeating it. But I've definitely also seen that continue on in children that I've worked with on the autism spectrum or, oh, absolutely. you know, kids with other syndromes. Um, can we just speak a little bit about that in terms of when that is a red flag? Because I feel like that's one of those things that continues on when there's something else going on and not just a cute little toddler right. and they're practicing their words or practicing language. Like when can you identify the difference between that?
1: Well, I am a big believer in that parents have like really good instincts. So if you have a child who's repeating everything they're saying, but it's not in a functional way. Echolalia, it's not functional so you have a child who's repeating things and it it's not necessarily appropriate um that could be that could be definitely a red flag but it's but we also want our kids to repeat what, what we're saying so whenever I work with with parents you know children who are who are really young so it would be like early intervention um then we're talking about really trying to provide models for our children to repeat it The goal is that we want our child to repeat it. So if if they repeat it, that's success. But it should go, it should grow from there. So if we say, do you want to go outside? And our, and our child goes, go outside. Then it should go from there, you know, within, you know, obviously not the next day, but over time, it should, our child should be voluntarily saying, go outside, you know, if they want to go outside. Or responding Um, yes to the question. Right. right? Like, do you want to go outside? Yes.
0: Or, I want to go outside. Something more right. completing the exactly. answer, rather than just exactly mimicking.
1: So, and that's and that would be like functional communication. That's how that's how we spe- you know that's how we communicate as adults. Also, yeah, you know that makes sense. You know, and that's what I say. Like, it's kind of like you know our parental instincts. If it makes sense, if it fits in the conversation, if it, if it, if it kind of feels like oh, this feels appropriate, then. It's probably you know. There's a good chance it really is. Like, right. If you're feeling like, oh my child's just repeating everything I say, you know. Um, and again, toddlers do that. Right. <laughs> you know, especially with, like, especially to- I feel uh, people are always like, yeah, they do that. Especially when I'm saying the uh, less desirable thing, like <laughs> when I'm cursing or something fell, on my, you know, something fell on my toe. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm like oh, that's when your toddler repeats what you say. But um, but if it becomes kind of, right, if it, if it becomes Where it's just everything is repeated. It's not for functional things. It's not for fun. It's not for. It's not communication. It's it's not for the intention of growing their, their functional language. Then, um, also like seek out a a speech therapist and pursue that. And in that case also, it's not certainly a speech therapist, but also the pediatrician, the developmental pediatrician. You know, that's, those are things that, um, you know, a speech therapist can help treat the language part of it, but a speech therapist is certainly not going to be able to um, identify if there's a larger uh, right. diagnosis that needs to be addressed.
0: Right. So, Again, it's like the cutest age, but then it also you, it can right. be assigned for other things. Right. So, you know, it's, like, always important to think about, like, when is it appropriate? And, it, and it's so hard because, as you said, there are so many age ranges for different things. But I think that, that you're right in that parents have that internal sense right, of, like, this just seems off or – on play dates or at the park, like other kids the same age, not to like compare every single month to right. my, but you know other kids are starting to have conversations or answering yes or no, and my child is still just repeating a comment, and right. that's when it, you know,
1: we want to see progress. We want we want to see, you know, your child should not be in the same place in three months that they were three months ago. Right. You know, like they should be. There should be there should be ongoing progress. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily need to be the exact same rate or exact same milestones as the child next door, but we should be seeing that our children are making progress at, right. at you know, there's just a forward moving yeah. There's a forward moving pattern to right. their I see the same
0: thing again, and I compare everything to like that walking, because that's a you know, a stage of the parents are like, they're not walking yet right. there's such a wide range. But I see the same thing. It's if you see progress, right? If they're crawling, if they're pulling to stand, they're cruising, they're right. holding a walker with one hand, you know, there's all that progression. So if they're not walking independently yet, okay. But as long as we're seeing progress right. and moving forward within that relatively typical time frame, then there's not as much to be concerned about, right? right? If there's no progress and they're stagnant, that's when we... As therapists, you know, like those red flags, those blinkers go off and we're like, what else is going on here and what interventions need to be done?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then also, so one of the things that, um, like you were saying about, like there's different, I think misconceptions about speech, and I see this a lot in schools also, teachers don't always fully understand what we do. Right, <laughs> um, and I, I, I don't know if that's the same though. T and PT also they don't fully understand like what our scope of practice is. And so one of the things is certainly articulation, but um, another big area, which is actually um, what I love, I love to do, is where it's language. Yeah. So the field of speech is divided into a lot of different areas. But if we're talking about like what you're really going to see in a school setting. Um, you're gonna see the speech and you're gonna see language. And people don't always know what the difference is. So speech has to do with everything that you're it's kind of like the, the the articulation, you know, the way that we say our words, the way that we say, you know, the way that we produce our sounds. Language has to do more with the content. So um there's expressive language and receptive language. So what is you know, what is your ability to express yourself, to express Express your wants and needs, you know, express things that you're doing on a daily basis. Also, academically, that that's, you know, verbal expression is... Very important in an yeah. academic setting, also, and then receptive language, also, your ability to receive the messages in the world around you, your ability to receive and process those messages, right. following um,
0: directions, right? Everybody line up, directions. E- exactly. taking the child extra time to exactly hear the words and understand them. They're like a step behind and look different from everybody else because exactly. are not processing that information.
1: Um, exactly, and that's um, that's actually the the area that I am like most most interested in because yeah. I just. Feel like it's it's so it's so different for every child, and you do have to get like a little more creative with it. And um, I just find it yeah. <laughs> really interesting. Well, actually,
0: it's it's interesting because I I am fascinated you know, when I was in college and thinking about, you know, the therapies, um, I didn't really understand what speech therapists did until I started working alongside speech therapists. When I was working in a sensory gym and OTPT and speech was all in the same room, mm-hmm. I found that I was incorporating speech into my sessions. Right? <laughs> and the speech therapists were incorporating OTPT. It's, it's like a nice crossover when that, when all disciplines come together. Right. But one of the fascinating things was a, like when they worked on like answering why questions or how when like understanding those differences right. and then what also i'd be interested in hearing your opinions on or how to do this at home is how to get your kids to tell you about stuff in their day and i feel like sometimes that really falls under speech right oh, Of because like, are they processing what happened during the day or are they able to come home and relay some of those details and maybe it's cuz they're bored and they're not interested right. right like there's different reasons but um i w- i was talking to a- another speech therapist friend who i worked with a long time ago and she was saying that sometimes you know asking kids pointed questions like who did you sit next to in the lunchroom right. or who can help them learn how to create the story is that something that you work on as well and like how can parents maybe elicit more of that conversation or Asking questions, Do you
1: understand what I'm? Oh, yeah, I'm getting absolutely. At? Okay. So, well, so I mean, certainly, <laughs> depending on the age of your child, there's right. certainly the behavioral component where they're just like, "Stop talking to me." Mom. Yes, <laughs> you know. But um, with with trying to engage your child in conversation, um, definitely, definitely, I think like that is certainly you know, asking the specific questions, you know, did you guys have recess today? What did you play in recess? Um, Things like tell me more, you know, so it's a little bit more open-ended. So it's not like, did you have recess? Yes. You know, and then the conversation's over. But tell me about the game that you played in recess. Um, Tell me about your friends. Trying to keep it open so that there's more to talk about.
0: If if we take a kindergartner, for example, they come home at the end of the day and it's like, what happens... in the morning is, like, so far away that it's hard for them to even remember. So, like, is open-ended questions easier for them to answer? Or is it easier to give them, like, a pointed question? Like, what song did you sing in circle time? Something like that.
1: So, it's, it – I mean, you should know, like, what you think that your child can do. I think it's right. definitely at that age you might need to be – might have to be like, did you sing head, shoulders, knees, and toes Okay. <laughs> you know, it could be that, but then also expecting, um, you want to try to grow on that. You right. know, so if you start off, you know, you know, your child's in the beginning of the year and you start off with, did you sing head, shoulders, knees, and toes And the answer becomes yes. You know, at some point, you also want to get to what other songs did you sing mm-hmm. or, um, you know you, you want to try to build to that so um and again you have to know your child and it depends on their age yeah but um you know expecting more from them as their language develops and as they get older um as their skills get better that you know again that's the forward forward movement the right. progress um so in knowing what you knowing what you can expect of your child um and breaking it down and not not being afraid to break it down you know not being like, uh, oh, I have to – I really have to ask my child if they actually say <laughs> I told right. you. Um,
0: but it could be even something as like, did you like what you had for snack in the morning or the afternoon, right? right? Like something that's conversational, but it's almost giving them something that you're asking them a specific question, but they can come up with their own answer something right? something like
1: al- that. And also asking questions that you know the answers to already, okay? which um, helps you be able to elicit the questions. And that might be a little harder if your child is um, – you know, like, like in school or daycare during the day, but it, but, you know, for example, if you're packing your child's lunch, right. you know, and, you know, did, what did mama pack you for lunch today? What did mm. I pack you? Did I, you know, and then it could also be silly. Did I pack you a hamburger? Right. You know, and it could be silly and no. And then also the modeling, you know, so if that's too difficult to start with, Let's talk about what we packed for lunch today. We packed a jelly sandwich and we packed carrots, you know? Now you tell me, we packed, you know, and kind of building on that so that at some point they can hopefully be able to offer that independently. Also, even just modeling it in your own life. So, like, well, I today, today I had for lunch, I had a salad with chicken and i had and mm-hmm. try just so that they kind of know oh well that's what an answer looks like for that question right. um because that's i mean i think we take that for granted but children don't always know what the answer to a question looks like yeah. what what am i supposed to say to that um so if we <laughs> I always tell parents, especially when they come to me with young children, like you're going to talk to your child so much you're going to feel crazy. You're going to feel like you're repeating the same thing all the time. You're talking about things that really do I need to talk about this? You know, it's just you're talking so much all the time. But that's what those models, that's what gets your child understanding what does a question look like? What does a WH question look like? So if I say, who did you see today? And I say – you know, who did, who did I see today? I saw daddy at, you know, like if you are able, then they know that the answer to who is right. going to be a person. Right. Um, and those are the kinds of things that we try to just model all the time to our children. And some happens very naturally, you know, in everyday speech, but some we want to make sure we're actively doing, especially if we have a child who has a, you know, a little bit of a delay who maybe we want to kind of help them pick up more skills. We definitely want to be modeling all those yeah. things all the time. We're just going to be talking, talking, talking all the time. That's what I love
0: about speech is that you can do this literally like all day, every day, like in any setting you're in. Like, oh, look at the beautiful trees outside right. and they're brown and green and like it makes them think about the tree right. or whatever Whatever setting you're in, whether it's a who, whether it's a what, a where, oh, the tree is in the grass, I, you know, right. something like that. There's so much opportunity for language that, like, I just – I think it's fascinating if you take that opportunity, you're really modeling it and practicing it with your child, right? That, so much. that oh, it, like yeah.
1: You know. and like, you're hitting it on the head. That's actually exactly what I tell parents to do. I'm like, you're in the car for, like, four minutes. You know, you're going yeah. to pick up something from the store or something. Just look outside. What do you see? Oh, you see the red car? Do you see the red car? What other cars do you see? Do you see a blue car? Even if your child is silent and not saying anything and, like – not responding, just continuing to talk, continuing to provide those models. Eventually, children will really pipe in. They'll yeah. really start – and they'll start to, you know, oh, mama, did you see the big truck? You know, like those those things will come in and it's, you know, us modeling them, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Like – yeah,
0: Speech more than anything else because – like it's it's something that language is learned through right. modeling, right? It's, that's yeah. how we learn language to begin with. Yeah. So there's so much importance of that and just talking to your child or talking with your child even if they're not answering, Right? right. Um like oh do you like that blue car? I love right. that blue car. Blue is my favorite color. I used right. to joke
1: with my son as a baby. I was just like if someone put their ear up to like our door and listened, <laughs> I'm like they would just think I was talking to myself all day cuz there's no response. He's a baby. Right. But I was like just literally just talking to him all day, you know, about like are you hungry? Oh, I think that will give you like just everything was just Yeah.
0: Um, there's so much we could talk about and I'm like, I have so many more questions for you, but I want to go in this direction a little bit. Two things. One is music helping language development. So I want to touch on that. And also how movement helps language development, because I mean, obviously as a physical therapist, I, I kind of incorporate both of those things into my session. So like I'll start doing singing right while sitting on a bouncy ball because all of a sudden they're paying attention to me and they're engaging their muscles more because we're singing. Right. So I just want to get your perspective on how music helps language and then movement as well, because I would imagine in the same way that sometimes like language and music helps them move more Um, in the reverse. Sometimes when they're moving and they're getting their bodies excited, it also helps language development. So can you speak to those two things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, just music is such a great medium to just do anything. I mean, if you think about like even in, when I, like I was younger in school studying for tests, like I would put things to like little jingles in my head, yeah. like mnemonics, because I was like, that's the way I'll remember it. Um, music is like such an excellent medium to be able to to teach skills and learn skills. Um, there's actually a treatment for fluency, for stuttering, that is it's called melodic intonation therapy. And it's based mm-hmm. on the concept that. Um, while people are singing, they don't experience difficulty. Um So they try to, to implement kind of like a sing-songy type um, pattern while speaking and then start to like phase it out. So there's certainly a lot of links between music and yeah. um, speech. But one of the things that I actually tell parents often is that the songs, like those songs that you teach, you know, see, sing when your kids are little. So, Old McDonald um, Wheels
0: on the Bus. Exactly.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. Those are such great songs for kids because it's repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps with connected speech because when children are acquiring language, so they, when your child gets their first word, they get their first word and they get a bunch more words and then they start doing two-word combinations and then they start doing, you know, start getting into phrases. And, music really helps children understand what like connected speech looks like. So mm. the wheels on the bus, you know, that's five words, the The wheels on the bus. And if a child can see that, that's kind of getting us into the direction of bringing speech together. And so I love that. And it's repetitive. So the door goes open and closed. The window, right. You know, the driver says, move on back. It's, and you're able to just keep going with that. Um, so I love songs like that, Old MacDonald, um and even like simple ones like Baba Black Sheep, just like right. very simple songs. Um, and over and over and over. I always like I say, like, do the same songs over and over. Like, don't feel like you need to do writing right. with your child. No, they need the like, repetition, right? right exactly. Because, like they wanna
0: recognize it and they're learning exactly. from that repetition. Like the
1: excitement they get when they when you know Old McDonald comes on for like the 10th time. You're probably, you know, as parents, we're probably like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pull out my hair because I cannot hear this song one more time. But as children, they're like, wow, I know this song. This sounds familiar. And then they start to hum along and they start to, you know, recognize the words. Um, It's very, very important. It's You know, it's really, it's funny because I think I was like, before I had a kid, I was like, I'm the parent who's going to like have my kid listen to like cool things, you know, like cool songs, like, you know, they'll know. Like, I'm not going to, like, do, like, the – Tingle, tingle, little star, Exactly. Right? And then um, it just – the way that those songs really translate for kids is just – it's, like, almost magical. Like, yeah. it's, it's really remarkable how these songs really speak to kids in ways that, you know, yeah, the rock beat. songs we gl- grew up with are not going to. Michael Jackson will just have to wait. Exactly, exactly. I'll have to refine his taste in music another time. Oh, and then movement. Having an activity, having – being able to – you know, with speech therapy, it can get very dry sometimes. You know, Sometimes you're just sitting there and you're like – you know, especially when you're working on articulation, it's like, say this S-word five times. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. Um, So a lot of times it's like really great to like incorporate movement. I actually – I had this, like, little basketball hoop. So it was, like, you know, like, you – like, we make a hoop and then we do our exercise. And then we make a hoop and then we do our exercise. Um, Keeps it fun. Right. Just trying to keep it interesting. I also think there's something great to – like, especially, like, with little kids. Like, sometimes, like, even, like, repetitive movement. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I'm sitting on the floor with a kid, like, I'll hold their hand. Like, we'll go back and forth a little bit. And, like, we'll – those are great – skills for a little kid, you know, learning like back and forth, up and down, prepositions, you know, under, over. And those, how do you communicate those other than, you know, moving your body, really doing it with the child. And that is so valuable. They're Um, actually
0: experiencing the worst. Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, you get a chair and you say, okay, now go under the chair, No, go on the chair, No, go behind the chair. It's like so great. So there's so many ways to incorporate movement. Um, as children get older, I find that it's a little harder because then they get a little more wild up. And so we kind of need to just like, yeah, like um, there, there was a little girl I was working with and I used to work with her on the floor, um, like in her room or in the playroom. And then as she got older, we needed to start working at a table because she would just get too overstimulated and she, she just needed to be able to sit there and concentrate.
0: You would actually think the reverse in some way. Like, maybe with younger kids, you need to help them
1: focus. But, I get like, obviously, you see the opposite. So, I mean, I guess it's really different for each child. But there's some children that if I give them, like, the too much, I guess, the freedom to move around, but yeah. there's not, like, a chair that they need to sit in, um, it makes it difficult to do our activities. Yeah. But... Yeah, I guess that, yeah, yeah, that's interesting.
0: But yeah, no, I definitely think that having some of those movement breaks or whatever, like when you get that whole body participating in whatever activity it is, right, sometimes that leads to more success right. because they're more alert when they're right. participating in your exercises from their body exercises right. or whatever it is. So Really interesting. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. This was,
1: this so was fun. really good. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. It's incredible. I appreciate it. Thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Please note that this is general information, and since we do not know your child, it is best to contact your pediatrician or local pediatric professional if you have specific concerns. We invite you to continue the conversation on this topic in our online community at totsontarget.com. Additionally, you can find any toys, books, or products we mentioned in our Amazon storefront located in our show notes or on our website. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for daily tips on how to keep your tot on target.